be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast so you have access to new content as soon as it comes out. And don't forget to share it so you can be a part of that ripple effect of Go Be Love. And if you're someone who's struggling with the Go Be Love concept, if you're someone sitting at home hurting, think you'd benefit from some coaching, or if you're an organization that's just looking to add chaplains into your workforce, go to gobeloveinc.com and schedule a free 15-minute session with me now. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning back into the Go Be Love podcast. I am so excited. This week we have a good friend of mine, Robbie. He, thankfully, with through the grace of God and, and everyone's support, is celebrating two years sober today. So just, yeah. uh, you know, everybody out there, clap your hands and, and just give it up. That's an amazing, amazing hurdle and just a, just a great thing. So I'm really glad that you're here. And I brought you on because this week I really want to talk about just like addiction and mental illness and really how that played out throughout the pandemic and uh, just some of the things that are going on. So first, let's just start. Why don't you introduce yourself to us and um, let us know kind of your background, where you work and, and those kind of things. Sure. Yeah, my name is Robbie Russell. I'm a, originally from down in Brown County, actually. It's kind of funny. Josh and I went to high school together and didn't realize it until after the fact. <laughs> I work out at Hickory House Recovery in Greenfield. I was a former resident there when I first started this journey, and then they trusted and had enough faith to bring me back as an employee. Uh, one of the greatest gifts I've been ever honored with was the opportunity to not only share the passion that I have for helping people and understanding that that we're all in different places, but it's still the same kind of inability to deal with some certain ways we think and emotions that really cause us struggles. And and if I'm being honest, there were some times early on where they could have easily said no and, and moved me on down the road, but they worked with me, taught me how to work with people from a clinical standpoint. And it's just, there's not a day that goes by when I'm out there or even at home that I don't thank God for all the opportunities that have been presented to me. Sometimes I just marvel at it and think, um, wow, why me? Um, Man, I can, I, every morning I wake up and I have, I have that realization of just like, why me? It's actually probably a huge part of what motivates me. Sure. Is like, why me? It's got to be yeah. for some reason, but man. So you work in, in a recovery house and you were essentially right at almost one year sober, right at one year sober when the pandemic hit. So yeah. take us like back to then that first week in March where all sure. the news was rolling out. We didn't know what was going to happen. You're, you know, you were working with these men who were already in a spot of struggle right in sure. the beginning days. Just what was that like? Happen? I, I got to be honest, man. We were out at the treatment center and I kind of try to stay away from getting caught up in the day to day fear that is media at times and things that go along with it. I realized that I've had enough of, of my own issues with mental and emotional instability that I kind of try to stay away from that stuff. So at first I was just kind of like, ah, this, this wasn't realistically happening. It's probably just bigger than what it was or what we thought it was. And one of our residents, I'll never forget, obviously I can't mention names, but I'll never forget the individual saying it. This is a pandemic. And, and I, I just kind of laughed at him like, no, nah, man, you know, you're probably just catastrophizing because it's what we do as addicts. And and then then they, they, it came on the news like the NBA shut down and then the NCAA canceled everything. And it was like, whoa, man, this is real. I think for the first time in a very long time, I I personally had legitimate fear. Not irrational fear, but legitimate fear of the uncertainty. And then I can only speak from what I saw, which was a 
house full of men and women who already were struggling with the idea of trying to work out just a day of sobriety at a time now faced with, well, I can't go to meetings. I can't be engaged. Everything's got to be virtual. And even at that point, we didn't even really know about virtual. I mean, in a, in a re- really serious way, the, the pandemic did the, the recovery community a huge favor. Um, if somebody tells me today they can't find a meeting, they're not telling the truth. because. <laughs> Because the facts are, you can just put one right on your phone at your disposal, and, it, and it's not necessarily the same connection. Um, I get that. But, uh, but I got to be honest, man, it was, it was very frightening at that point in time simply because I, I, nobody knew. I mean, it, you didn't know what was real, what wasn't, you know, and you had one, one group of, uh, of a media trying to, you know, really talk about what the what the was needed what was happening how do we get around this then there were others saying it wasn't real and it was you know yeah and so much confusion and yeah yeah so i can i can only imagine being like one two days sober and just kind of fighting for life and then having this come on and just a big part of recovery is kind of getting your life back so like being able to find employment being able to find housing and so obviously this year of shutdown that we've experienced with crazy unemployment and with mm-hmm. just all the uncertainty in the housing market yep. that obviously had to play a part in some of the some of these oh, people's for lives sure. so, substantial um man so that's just terrifying and I, I empathize so much with just where you were and just god bless you for being having the strength to to, to be support for those people oh, yeah. um so early on you found the facebook group surviving and thriving yep. that um, i started and we had a connection because we went to high school together sure. we didn't know each other nope Almost 20 years later, yep. we are standing outside of a recovery meeting, sure. and um, you mentioned that you played basketball for Brown County High School, and I was sure. like, wait, man. So we, we yeah. actually were in school together, and but we didn't know each other, and that's just awesome. That's how God works, right? Yep. Um, neither of us were healthy then, and it probably wouldn't, we wouldn't have benefited each other's <laughs> yeah. lives to have known each other. That's probably at that fair. aspect. So, um, but at the right time when we were both sure. seeking recovery and starting over, it was great. So, and you found the group and you decided to join. So what was it about that page, about that thing that you decided I need to be a part of this? Well, I, what I should first say is when I got sober the last time, it was a matter of me finally understanding that I wasn't surrendering to alcohol. I was surrendering to God. And And I didn't really even know what that meant Um, other than my whole life. When I was told to do something in my spirit, I did whatever I wanted to do versus that. Um, And I happened to be at home one night. I saw that. I saw what you put out there. and, And my spirit literally said, go do something to help this. Go do something to be a part of this. At least reach out to Josh and say, hey, can I help in any way? Um... And, and I've tried so desperately for the last two years at any point in time when, when my spirit or intuition, whichever you wish to call it, speaks to me. To me, it's a very clear indication that, that God is speaking and saying, this is what I need you to do. I, uh, if, without getting too emotional, man, um, it was very difficult at first. Um, human instinct is always to, you know, whatever's comfortable, even if it's killing me, um, but at the, as I've gotten into this further and further, it's become so much more peaceful. Um, it's so much more relaxing and, and so much more rewarding to just understand that I don't have to have answers to everything. Um, and it was a simple situation of, you know, just reach out to your buddy, man, and just say, what can I do to help? And there was so much, um, just so much that you were involved in. I know 
one of the things that I really liked was your you you kind of joined with some other people or however it happened, but you you made it a priority to get recovery literature to get that collected and get that into the hands of people who needed yep. it. And um, man, so important. So let's just talk a little bit about from neither of us necessarily experienced this, but we both are addicts and, and you know, I'm sure. pretty openly struggled with, with mental illness. And so let's just talk about it from the point of view of that addict who didn't, wasn't at a recovery house, who was just starting out, who maybe had their apartment and then was, was told to lock in and just that perspective of how hard that had to have been. Just how important is community to recovery, right? The, like, yeah. the man, I'm the hair on my neck standing up thinking about it, and I'm, um, it, it's uh, if you're already at a point where with mental illness, and then you throw in the substance abuse issue with it, at the end, what I like to call the end, which becomes the beginning, so to speak, most everybody isolates anyway. And, and sometimes folks will say it's because I don't want to hear what somebody else to say or or and, and the truth of the matter is if people are what I found to be the truth is if people are being sincere, it's not a matter of what somebody has to say. It's a ma- more a matter of I know that I'm doing this and it's killing me and it's hurting others and I'm ashamed and I'm embarrassed and I'm hurting and I'm too afraid to be sincerely vulnerable and share with somebody what I'm going through mentally. And there's a fear that nobody will understand, right? That that I'm very chronically unique and nobody can understand what severity, you know, that my mental instability is at. And, you know, and it's, it's very common for folks to be at a point where death seems almost a luxury, but they can't quite do it themselves. Yeah. Um, and, and, so what I like to do personally and when I meet with folks or talk with anybody, whether it's at work or one-on-one, is you had to have something in your spirit that had a little bit of hope. Because if you didn't, when the death would have been a luxury for you, the, the, the real, direct, blatant, I mean, just you would have already done it. Um, so you had to have something in there inside of you that was saying there's got to be something better. There's got to be something out there that will help me find a way out of this. Um, and, and the truth is, you know, Josh, it's, uh, it's, you can probably relate to this. Not everybody's going to find the spiritual aspect of whatever it is that is out there for them. And I'm okay with that from that, from this standpoint, because the truth is I try to look at it from a, from a very different place. If, if, if fighting the idea of a God or a deity or a spiritual answer is a, is an issue for you, then why don't you look at it as truth? Because I go to God every time when I pray for or truth, mm. his truth. But as opposed to getting so caught up on the deity end, let's just think about it from what is your truth mm. and and what does it look like? And then one moment at a time, you start to build your self-worth back from starting to understand that it's quite all right to be vulnerable. It's quite all right to share the deepest, darkest, dirtiest, nastiest of things with people because you are absolutely not alone and you've never been alone, even if you felt that way. Um, and that, that perception is really something because it, it, it's not, it's the perception. Yes. And so I work with a lot of families who are who misunderstand mental, you know, they yep. have someone in their For family sure. that's struggling with addiction or mental illness. And those, I say those together because they really do, I think go so much hand in hand. Agreed. Um, and they don't understand it. And it's really just that, that fear that you talked about, that shame that you talked mm-hmm. about, and then just the misunderstanding of, of um, 
that we're alone, right? And we yeah. say, and so many times, addicts and 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 those who are suffering, they say, you know, I'm I'm alone, I'm alone, and then their family's like, but you, I've been here the whole time, right? Sure. And that's not what it, it's not really the truth no. of whether you were there or not. It's it's that that addict or that mental ill. Mm-hmm. Their truth is that they feel alone, absolutely. Right? And that's that's what mental illness is. It's sure. literally telling us things, yeah, that aren't true. And we're believing it just as if we believe that this is black or this is a microphone, right? Like that it's just as true to the mentally ill and that and 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 addicts. And so it's really really something that I want to get across to families is that empathy, right? That starting with love and and you you are just a great example of that because what I tell everyone is that when we make it out of the fire, right, if we're lucky enough, if we're blessed enough, Mm -hmm. if God saw it right for us to be able to overcome our addiction, overcome our mental illness and and get some sense of normalcy, then we're obligated to reach back in and just start pulling people out. Every time. And you, you didn't, you didn't miss a beat, brother, right? Every time. You got, you just Um, went right back into it. It's what, you know, is required of me, but it's not even that it's a requirement. You know, you'll hear folks say, I go help people because it keeps me sober. If I'm being honest, I don't go help people because it keeps me sober. I go help people because I actually know what it means to love people today. And I know what it means to love myself today. And and I didn't know what that meant for 38 years of my life. And, you know, I don't hide behind anonymity. And if folks ha- choose to use anonymity, that's okay. I'm not, I'm not knocking it. But I feel so strongly that for years anonymity has prevented us from being able to help people start to have awareness that this is a mental illness, that this is a disease. And if I remain anonymous, how am I out on the front lines trying to bring awareness to help anyone understand that it's not like we woke up at, you know, the first day of school and they said, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be an addict. It's not (laughs) like we choose that, (laughs) you know? So, so at some point we have to understand that, that it definitely is not a a choice. Mm Um, and if for anyone out there that chooses to think that's the case, I won't argue with you. That's okay. Yeah, your truth is your truth. Your truth is your truth. And I think, and I'm glad that you brought this up because this is, I feel like the shame mm-hmm. and what you're talking about right now, the misunderstanding, that sure. those two things go so much hand in hand. Yeah, of course. Because we went so long as a society, and I don't want to blame anyone. I just think it's time for us to move on. I right? think absolutely. But we went so long with not being able to openly talk about it, right? For sure. 20 years of my life, I suffered, and I mm-hmm. knew I was suffering, but I could not go, oh, I did not torture. know who I could talk to, and I didn't feel comfortable. And the few times that I did, I felt really ashamed for it mm-hmm. and misunderstood by it. And I and and I th- so I think that um, it's really important to point out how much those play with each other, mm-hmm. right? Oh, um, you, you have the mental illness and addiction that creates shame. Sure. And then this misunderstanding from society or this inability to go tell people that I'm struggling right mm-hmm. now. Um, creates that more shame and that's that just snowball effect that really keeps the addict and the mentally ill Without kind of a in doubt. a corner, you know, man. So I want to kind of talk about the pandemic as far as this is concerned, sure. because um, what we saw during the pandemic and, and I have a whole pile of stats in front of me, but you and I really don't need those. We saw it firsthand, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we lost brothers and sisters like left and right. I mean, it was a really scary time. And for an addict who had a family, like myself, it was sure. just scary sure. trying to maintain sobriety, trying to keep going with, with that, that way of life that I was on, thinking yeah. love first, being love, healing immediately, sure. all of those concepts that, that we've learned. Um, it was scary, man. So for people by themselves, I just don't even know how that was. So we have all these stats. I, I can tell you that I lost more friends in recovery in the year of the pandemic than I did in, in the almost three years that I've been sober. Yep. Um, 
And that's crazy, right? Uh, I know that there was one week where every single day I woke up and there was an overdose or a suicide yep. every single day. And there's a real big misunderstanding in society about this because we're, we're recording this. We're at one year away from the pandemic mm -hmm. and the whole world as a whole is starting to go back to normal, right? People mm -hmm. are starting to feel the sense of normalcy. Things are opening back up. Jobs are starting, right? Unemployment's down. So there's this perception. What it looks like on paper is that everything is okay again, right? Is everything is heading towards okay. There's, there's light. And most people are feeling that. But, um, but what we're seeing right now in the community of, of addiction and mental illness is this huge burst right now yep. of suicides, of depression, of anxiety, of, of relapse. And so what are you seeing? And then, and then I just want to follow up and talk about like why I think that is, but. Sure. Um, the, the truth is if you just look at it in the, in the, the time I've worked in recovery now, the, the spring of every year usually is already going to be a higher number of people that, that check into treatment. Um, most of the time you get through the winter, you know, where you've hibernated for a winter and, and just struggled through the torture. Um, and then the spring hits and then folks, okay, I'm going to go get some help. Um, but you throw in the, the idea of whatever normalcy looks like and, and getting back to less and less fear about day-to-day -day life and the problem's still there. You know, whether the pandemic hit or didn't hit, the problem's still there. The only thing about the pandemic is, is it separated so many people at the onset from finding other people in terms of connection that could potentially help them when this got back to whatever it looked like. Um, listen, I don't know if normal is, is a really great word <laughs> because sure. there's no such thing. I've come to understand that. But whatever a simple or normal routine for somebody in early recovery and even late is a very vital practical thing to, to put into play so that it just keeps you busy until you start to have some self-worth and start to understand how to think and how to, how to process emotion better. So the, one of the key things that we try to do is set a plan for people. But the, the problem is, is now Every day we're finding out this one's open, this one isn't, this one, you know, and so we're, it's a struggle, but it doesn't mean that we don't still put the work in. And it doesn't mean that, that the folks that we're ha we have a privilege to work with or any of the other treatment centers around the city don't. The only issue that I take is that it seems at times like our state, if I'm being honest, is about a 800 years behind the times when it comes to being available to help folks with what mental illness and, yeah. and addiction looks like. Um, and that's really, I mean, that's why we're here. That's why I'm glad you're glad. here because this needs to be talked about. It needs to be public and, and there needs to be like resources and real For attention sure. um, going to this. So one of those stats that I have that, that I felt was really crazy, and this is just, this goes more to explain how confusing mental illness is. Mm -hmm. But um, so in the first three months of the pandemic nationally, suicide rates fell by 14 percent in mm -hmm. the first three months in the second three set of three months right so from three months to six months into the pandemic when things were starting to go back to normal there wasn't lockdowns under mm -hmm. all of these national figures that showed normalcy right sure. or whatever that is those all those numbers started to, to look like they were headed in the right direction right in that time period suicide rates from the year before went up 16 percent so we, we literally had a 14% drop in the first three months and mm -hmm. then a 16% increase in the second three months. And that that's kind of confusing if you look at it just black and white um, because the hardest part of the pandemic, what we think, what seems normal, mm -hmm. right? And I'm going to keep using that word. Sure. I know normal sure. doesn't mean anything, but no, it's I, the baseline, I, I, I think, it. of what we can grow. For sure. So 
to a normal everyday person, that first three months was the hardest part. That's when they were locked in. That's when they lost their jobs. That mm-hmm. was the hardest part. And it seems like that's when everything should kick in and when you should have mm-hmm. that. Um, and then when everything started going back to normal, we saw this huge increase. And even today, a year later, we're still seeing huge numbers. Unfortunately, in the United States, we don't keep track of depression and suicide as well as we should. So everything I read said that it, was, it will take about two years mm-hmm. to actually find out what the numbers are during the pandemic. So sure. some of these are just based on thousand people surveys and stuff, but across the board, it went up. There are even some that say that suicide in 2020 went up almost by a hundred percent in the United States, which is crazy. So let's, let's talk about that because first I just want to point out to everyone that, that mental illness is confusing and the way that it works a lot and the way that us as human beings work is that when times are really dark and when it's the toughest, we tend to just uh, grin and bear it, right? Mm-hmm. We, we hold on tight and we power through and that appears to the world as if everything's okay with us, sure. as if we're doing fine, right? And then there gets to be a point where everything starts to be okay and we don't have to worry as much and there's not like this constant need to just survive today. Yeah. And in my experience, when that happens is really when all of this mental illness comes in, right? In my own experience, I decided I'm, I went to a meeting. I decided to get sober and quit drinking. There was like a, a 30 days of euphoria. Mm-hmm. I felt like church camp, man. Sure. I was on fire for the Lord. I was on fire for sobriety. I could yep. just tell everybody. Day 31 to day 90 was really dark and scary for me. Sure. Because my life had just started going back to normal. And right when it did and I was able to let my guard down, that's when all of this mental illness and stuff came in. And yep. the risk of relapse was really strongest in that time period. So um, I think I just want to let everybody know that there are, your life might look normal right now and it might be going back to normal, but there are a lot of people right now who are looking around and saying, and they don't feel normal. They don't feel right. And they're really, that, that is putting a lot of unnecessary weight on them, right? Because they're seeing everything else is moving forward and I'm not able to for some reason. So I just want to encourage everyone to reach out to the people around you and and make sure that they're, they're okay and that they're getting along as well as you are. I'm interested um, as we wrap up to just talk about something we can put out there for people to just start doing. So sure. um, a big part of recovery for me is my routine. Yep. Right. Starting my day right is how I make sure that I have good days and how I set myself up sure. for success. So why don't you walk me through your morning sure. routine and let's just hope that some people can pick from that and I apply what they want to sure. uh, to start their day a little better. Listen, I, I got to be very, very candid about this because it is incredibly important to me two years in that the basic things that I did at day one are still in play um, because it's what got me to where I'm at, essentially, because if I can't do the little things, the small things, I've already proven for 38 years that I will not do the big things when I'm forced to need to do so. So I literally, every day, it's the same. I start my day with rolling out of bed, literally, to my knees to pray. And I say a simple prayer that I've said almost exactly the same every day for the last two years. And then I make my bed. I make my bed. Um, and and we talk to people at the treatment center about just making your bed. Um, and starting your day off consistently every day by just making your bed. Um, you know, and, and then, then it goes from that to, I go and get ready, you know, shower and, and then the shower, I have another prayer that I say every day. Um, you know, asking God to help remove me of me, the bondage of whatever it is that, that burdens me on a daily basis with the, (laughs) the, the, the old me, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, keep that guy away. Um, I don't want to, I don't want that behavior to show up. I don't want that, that, that 
inability to care, the apathy. I don't want any of that in me anymore, you know? So then I get ready and, and I go to the gym real quick, which sounds weird because I shower and then go to the gym, but it's just become my routine because at the gym is where I meditate. And, I, and I'll sit there and I'll, I'll, I'll meditate and then I'll go to a meeting. And then when I get done with the meeting, I'll go out to work. You know, and then work, we have a basic schedule, but the, the, the schedule at work is more in, pro, in line with just, you know, accommodating certain things with groups, people, etc. And then I come home. And the best part of my day when I come home is my dog is always waiting at the door. The cat's right behind him. <laughs> And, you know, and my soon to be wife is is in the bedroom, you know, and she makes sure that she's up every night when I come home. Um, If I said every night, I'd be lying, but (laughs) she's usually up. And so the point is, is that we have a a good conversation, you know, say good night, you know, and then the truth is, is I'll sit there and I will literally like be a vegetable for a little bit. Working in recovery and being in recovery is very taxing. Um, I'm not going to say it's not, but I don't it doesn't it's not so much so taxing that it was as like nearly as bad as what it used to be when I wasn't. The torture is gone. Um, It's just sometimes mentally and emotionally you're drained. So it's nice when I get home where I can have some time to just unwind, you know, and I will literally use that time every night to um, sit down, watch a show. But what's cool with Zoom is I've now found a meeting every night at midnight that's out of Ireland the next morning. And so I'm getting to try to know some of these men on and on this meeting. So it, in an effort to when I do, you know, hit the Ireland bucket list type thing, I've now got connections yeah. over there. And it's awesome. I, uh, it's again, life is what you make it. That's a sure. repeated thing that comes up on this podcast. But, uh, but definitely during the pandemic, we were able to, you know, choose how we were going to react to that yep. situation. And, and that was one of the blessings I found was these, these zoom recovery mm-hmm. meetings all sure. over the world and you could, everywhere. Oh, it was so neat to just get these different perspectives sure. and to hear, you know, I mean, it was really like March 3rd of last year. I would have never thought that I could have access to addicts recovering all over the world mm-hmm. anytime I wanted at my fingertips. Sure. But by March 16th, I had that. Yep. Right. And that, that's a blessing of the pan. I mean that we, yeah. we advanced us years and years For sure. in what we could do with technology, especially reaching, reaching addicts. So I want to go back because one of the most important things, and this is like in all of my, all of my books and publications is how to start your day. And you touched on that. It's so important for those who are out there, if you're struggling or, or you're, you're just having, you're just struggling with your day or how do I, how do I get out of this funk or this, this rut that I'm in? There's like important things, right? One, I believe you should wake up at the same time every day. Oh, you without a doubt. set a time. I'm going to be up by this time, an alarm or whatever you need. Allowing yourself to just wake up when you do, it just kind of tells the world that you're at the whim, right? Yep. I'm just free to go. And and you're literally giving the world permission to just kind of blow you around. Mm-hmm. So set, wake up every time, make your bed first thing every day. That's so important because it tells you that you're worth it. It accomplishes something small. Yeah. It tells the world that you're ready, right? It's yep. literally saying, "Well, I'm ready for whatever comes on." Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then to put fresh clothes on, take a shower, Absolutely. or at the very least, splash some fresh water on your face. Sure. And then some kind of physical activity, right? Walk yeah. or I walk the dogs. You go to the gym, something yep. like that. It just is a way. So if you're depressed and you're struggling and you need it, like you can immediately start doing those things, right? Yep. And if you can just get to that every day and you do that every day eventually there's going you're going sure. to grow in that routine and, and and that's a beautiful thing so i'm glad you shared that um rob right now you have there's people who are hurting out there and there's family members of people who are hurting and before we go just what is what do you want to say to them i i just would love to tell anyone out there that the, if they have someone in their family um struggling with 
mental illness, addiction, first and foremost, those folks are not weak people. In fact, it's usually completely the opposite. Very, very strong people. And the truth is, is we've got to do a better job all the way around in reducing the stigma attached to this stuff. I don't know what it is with our culture here in, in America per se, but there, there seems to be something that attaches to this that, that somehow we're weak or we're, we're, we're less than if we struggle with things mentally and emotionally that the vast majority of the world or our country doesn't. But at the end of the day, we all have problems. Whether we're in mental illness, addiction, or we're not, um, sometimes, though, the ones that uh, don't typically have those issues don't feel as judged for it. And, you know, I'm, I'm not here to take up the, uh, you know, take up the fight for everybody or, or, or am I here to put anyone down? But what I will say is that if you have, have dealt with mental illness and addiction in your life as a family member, I can assure you that you probably know what it feels like to be living in a living hell not being able to help the one you love the most, and then thinking things like, well, I just don't understand how he could be so smart and have this problem. I don't understand how she could be that beautiful and have this problem. And then, folks, you feel like maybe I'm a failure as a parent or I'm a failure as a, as a sibling or a spouse, when in fact it's completely the opposite. There is nothing that you could have done either way that will, would have prevented this from becoming what it was. And, and I'd like to ask those people to probably give themselves a little grace um, because you, you just, when you, when you love somebody so much and you watch them hurt and you can't help them, I know that like even my father, even though he won't admit it, it, he sure as heck felt like he was a failure because of me, but he was never not there for me. And I love my old man. We don't see eye to eye on a lot of things, but at the same time, I know what it meant for him to love me. And, and sometimes it's more about what, what you do and less of what you say. And in fact, I believe that all the time. I think apathy is the opposite of love anyway. And for anyone out there that's struggling, there are many different options in this community that are available to help folks, to give them support and guidance. Um, and for folks that are, are in the throes of addiction, I don't know if I can do this or not, but I, I'm always willing. My number, I put it on Facebook. I put it out on the internet. I have no issues with that whatsoever. You know, and, and there are many of us in this community like that. I want to say this. Sometimes we need to let somebody see the light for us until we can. And if I can do, do that for anyone, um, I'm happy to be of support and guidance in that area. But there is no shame in letting somebody else see the, the light at the end of the tunnel for you until you get to a place where you can start to see the little cracks here and there where, where it's shining in. For sure. I um, So we, uh, gobeloveinc.com, we are going to put all those resources locally and in Indiana. Sure. Um, the recovery houses, all of those things. We have a, a pretty extensive list, but we're going to add to it. We'll get you on there and uh, make sure that we have all those links. So if you need to, you, you can always call the Gobi Love Line. It's 317-662-0919. Awesome. It's a Google message, so it'll instantly be a voicemail. You leave a message, it emails me or one of us, and we call you back right away. So awesome. um, there are resources, and definitely, like Rob said, know if you're out there struggling that you are not alone. There are a lot of us who have been there. There are a lot of us who are here right now who want to help you through it. If you really want help and you want, want your life to change, just reach out, and we can make sure that happens. Guys, I just thank you so much for tuning in. This has been a really, really rewarding, Rob. I, I imagine you, we'll have you back a lot, and I, and I just love that. But I really want to charge everyone with just 
oh, so much from this conversation, but really just, just if we as people just start with love, right? If we stop trying to process what other people are doing through how we would do it or our perspective, what we think we would do, if we stop that and we just understand that, that everyone is hurting and everyone is broken, just like you, they're broken, they're hurting, they make mistakes, right? If we start there with empathy and with love, that's going to go a long way to open this conversation up and it's going to go a long way in your families because there are people in there struggling right now and you don't know about it and they don't feel like they're comfortable or like they can talk about it. And so if, if you just start being love and everything that you do and the little actions of just opening the door and smiling at strangers and just whatever you can do to put love into the world, it's going to open up the doors and we're going to be able to talk more openly about it. And people who are struggling are going to find hope and see the light and you'll be able to really affect, like be effective and, and create real change. And that's just really what I want you to remember Absolutely. from this. If you're hurting and you're alone, know that you don't have to do it. Go to gobeloveinc.com, sign up. You can start life coaching. You can just have a, a conversation or you can call the Gobe Love line and someone will get back with you right away. Oh, thank you so much, guys, for tuning in. Be sure to like and follow uh, so you can just keep getting updated when new episodes come out. Know that you're not alone. I see you. I love you. Be love. <laughs>